You're listening to Manx Radio, and I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to the podcast of the Manx Sky at Night with Howard Parkin. choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And that familiar music tells us that it is time to welcome into the studio Howard Parkin for this month's edition of the Manx Sky at Night. Fast am I, Howard. And fast am I to you, Judith. Now, the lengthening of the dark skies is something that you really look forward to, don't you, Harry? It is indeed. It's a great time of the year for astronomy. We often say the astronomical year runs from September right through to about May time, because when we get to June, July, August, there's just no dark skies. But of course, you've all noticed that the sun is going down that much um, earlier each night now. Or, and so as a consequence, we're getting longer and longer nights. And uh, it doesn't seem like a few weeks ago that it was daylight at 11 o'clock at night well now it's pitch black at 11 o'clock at night so we get to see the sky and the stars and of course the autumn stars are quite special to us because they herald the onset of the winter stars which we'll talk about obviously in a few months time and so this time which you say isn't the best for stargazing that's called astronomical twilight in actual fact it ended at the beginning of august didn't it, did it? indeed the third of august it ended it starts at the end of may to the third uh, of august and this is where the sun doesn't get far enough below the horizon for it to go really dark. It's defined as below 15 degrees. Um, and, of course, it just doesn't get dark. And strangely, I was up in uh, Iceland, as you know, talking last month, and uh, it was so strange to be going to bed at 11 o'clock at night, even late going to bed, but it's still broad daylight outside. I couldn't live like that. I like my nights. I think, yes, the summer's too light sometimes, but it's only for about a few weeks for us. But uh, I like the darker nights, not just for astronomy, but I just I don't want to go to bed in the in daylight. That's one thing that's totally alien to me. Ah, oh, well, you just had to stay up that bit longer. Absolutely. Right, so looking forward to September. It's a few weeks for us to wait, but we've got an equinox. Yes, of course, we've got the, aut- the autumnal equinox, which takes place on the 23rd of September this year. And that's when, of course, day and night are... Ro- I would say the same length. They're not exactly right on the 23rd because of all sorts of mathematical issues. But technically speaking, the sun rises and sets. You get exactly 12 hours of day, 12 hours of night, which is why we call it the equinox, equal day, equal night. So what else is going to be a high point for you for September? Well... Weather permitting. Weather permitting, of course, because we've not had a particularly good... um, period this summer. The weather's not been particularly good. July was terrible, wasn't it? We did get to see some Persids, and it wasn't particularly brilliant at the weekend of the um, the 12th of August, but we did see some Persids and some people uh, advised me they'd seen some, so thank you for that. But the weather could have been better. Um, but this is the time of the year when we have the watery sky. The sky is full of watery constellations. We've got Delphinus the dolphin, we've got the southern fish, we've got the the, uh, the fish themselves, we've got Capricorn the sea goat. And, you know, we talk about the mythology and everything else as why they name these stars. They don't look anything like a bear or a lion or a ram. But this is the time of the year of the floods in the Mediterranean. This is the time of the year when we get the floods and, and the typhoon season and all that sort of stuff. And so the ancient observers knew what they were doing. They thought, right, the heralding of the the floods, if you like, and um, the stars uh, pre-tell us that it's going to be the watery time of the year. Aquarius, of course, there's lots of people born on the side of Aquarius, and Pisces, the fish, and Capricorn. They're all three watery zodiacal constellations. So this is the time of the year when we see the watery sky. Yeah. 
Just going back to something that you mentioned there, uh, the last time you were with us in in uh, July, you were talking about the Persid meteor mm-hmm. showers and how it could be exceptional mm. in the right conditions. I was really interested to hear that they actually mentioned on national news on that particular oh, yeah. day that to look out for the Persid meteor oh, shower yes. if you had the right weather conditions. I thought that was quite significant, perhaps an indication of general interest in what's going on in so. the skies, that they would mention a meteor shower. Oh, I think so. I mean, probably the Persids and maybe the Geminis in December are the only two that are of note to be honest that are worth um, mentioning uh, but those two uh, certainly are worth talking about but we do see this interest people's interest in their environment um, has grown dramatically and I, I see that when I do my lectures I get far more people and far more interest my night school classes which start again at the end of September um, again it's, it's amazing that I, every year I think, oh, there won't be enough people interested this year, but they always seem to turn up, so it's great, and I'll carry on doing it. We'll come back to the skies in a moment, but just talking about Unite School, so what are the rules for enrolling if people want to know more? Just get in touch with the University College of Man um, on the website or give them a call, and uh, the courses start the last Tuesday in September, the, the first class will be, and they're spread out between end of September right through to the middle of March and uh, that gives us 12 weeks just 12 weeks we do do a, a, a bigger version of what we do in the radio Judith except obviously I show lots of pretty pictures and talk about different concepts and not just astronomy but space travel and the latest results from the latest um, satellites what they're going up to and uh, I love doing it and it seems to gather a, an audience enough every year that we run the classes every year so if you're interested I'd love to see you there and will that include any time at the observatory there can will you... be we always try and have one trip to the observatory what I want to do is obviously I can carry telescopes up to the university at the uh, Hopefield Road there but it's much better to show people telescopes in the flesh as it were and even possibly look through them but um, we're not always fortunate with that because obviously the weather there has a bearing on that. Well I have to say as somebody who has now been to the observatory it, it's an amazing experience and it really is one to, to grasp if you get that opportunity and I've got to ask you again in the last programme we were talking about the renaming oh, of yes. the observatory was that as emotional and special yes. a night as it you were was expecting? Absolutely wonderful. I mean, Shirley came along and unveiled the plaque we've got on the wall there, and then um, Manx Radio came along as well and gave a story, and it was on the radio a few days later, and it was just a great event. Everybody loved James so much, and as Shirley very kindly said a few words after the uh, we did the unveiling, she said that it was his life and the observatory in particular. He really threw himself wholeheartedly into building the observatory, and he was the main instigator of it. And now I talk about the observatory glibly as the observatory but we should call it the James Martin Observatory because that's what it is and um, we're delighted and proud that Shirley agreed to that and that the family were there as well and we had a lovely night and uh, it was it was quite emotional as you say and uh, a great tribute to, to the man he was. But also it's another little piece in the whole jigsaw of Manx history isn't it of because course, yeah. he, he's immortalised now people mm-hmm. as we said in our last programme people will ask about him and so he becomes part of, of, of Manx life. Of course. Exactly as it should be. So, from watery constellations in the sky, what else? What else? Well, the planets are putting on quite a show for us at the moment. Remember we spoke uh, last month about the fact that Venus was heading around the back of the between the Earth and the Sun? Well, now it's re-emerged into the evening sky. Well, not quite yet, but by the time we get to the 18th of September, it'll be at its brightest. It gets in what we call a morning apparition. On the 18th of September, it's pulling away from the Sun that quickly that um, what basically happens, it shines at its absolute brightest. And on the 18th of September, it'll be at its brightest. And uh, we're quite unmistakable. And uh, look for that in the morning sky. You don't even have to know where you're looking. Just look in the dawn sky when it's, it's still a bit dark or when it's getting lighter, but 
not quite, um, just look for this brilliantly bright object in the sky, just like we look for it in the evening sky over Peel in the, the last three months or so, and um, it's now going to be doing the same thing in the morning sky. Yeah, you were talking about the, the brightness of it, the exceptional brightness mm. of it, and in fact, it, it was only a few nights after that, after you'd been saying about that, that I, I was out walking and I looked and it wasn't a good night no. had taken over all for stargazing but I could see that Oh, it's quite unmistakable. When it's at its what we call elongation and elongation is not one of those words we use but basically when it's as far away from the sun as it gets on its orbit before it comes back in to go around the back of the sun or inside the earth and the sun, when it's at its furthest elongation in the west or the east that's when it's at its brightest and it really shines like a beacon second only to the, the sun and the moon and uh, in terms of brightness the things you can see in the night sky venus is third brightest by a long chalk right okay what about uh, saturn what, well saturn what? is at what we call opposition at the beginning of september in a few days time and that means it's opposite so again these words we use i like to explain what the words mean the word opposition means opposite from the sun it's exactly in the opposite part of the sky if you could see through the earth if the earth was a glass ball the sun would be exactly in the opposite part of the sky to where the saturn is so it's at opposition that means it's visible from mid at midnight due south that's also it means it's at midnight due south and it's visible all night it's quite faint. It's not a patch on Venus or indeed Jupiter, we'll mention in a minute, but it's still worth looking for. And sadly, for those telescopic astronomers amongst you who want to look at Saturn and its beautiful ring system, we'll make the best of it because what's happening, because the tilt of the, the rings of Saturn are inclined and that every few years, I've got how many years it is now, it's going to be 15 years or so, the rings tilt exactly towards the Earth. So you, it loses its rings. Only for a matter of months, but then you, you see the rings get thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner as it tilts, and then it, you, you lose them, and then the tilt goes the other way. So uh, not at its telescopic best, but still worth looking for. And one of the challenges for astronomers is to try and see the rings as long as you can. And no doubt all the astronomical magazines and the TV programmes will be saying, this picture was taken, you know, four weeks before edge on um, elevation and all the rest. So, But it, it's, it's just fascinating. But... Um, I love showing Saturn through a telescope. If, the, if it's a clear night and Saturn's in the sky and you show someone Saturn, that's it. They're just hooked. It's what we call the wow factor. And the wow factor is when you see Saturn through a telescope for the first time. But also interesting to know that it is possible to see it without the rings even though yeah. it's only for a short period of time. Oh, yeah. Because to the untrained eye, you could think, well, it can't be Saturn. Yeah. Saturn always has rings visible. It always has rings visible. Because traditionally, it's how it's That's depicted. Right. And this is what Paul Galileo did in 1610 when he first used the telescope on the sky for the first time. He looked at Saturn and he couldn't understand what he was seeing. And unfortunately for him, there was an edge on elevation just at that time or just after. And he never really got a full explanation of what the rings were. He couldn't work out what it was. Saturn is named after the god Kronos, who evidently had his own child or something stupid. There's some horrible mythology about Saturn. And, of course, one of the legends is that the rings were eaten by the planet. And that's, again, you see where the mythology comes from. Really? We touch some stuff, don't we? We, we, <laughs> we certainly do. Talking of legends and myths in a different kind of way, last month we were discussing blue moons and whether, oh, it's, yes. and whether it is right to say once in a blue moon as an indication of something that hardly ever happens. And seemingly, it's not really it, true. Yeah, it happens every year. There's a blue yeah. moon every year. And, of course, this Tuesday it is. I think it's this Tuesday. We don't just have a blue moon. Moon, we have a super moon, a full moon, and a red moon. Now, hang on a minute. I thought we weren't allowed to say super moon. We're not allowed to say super moon, but everyone else does. No doubt it'll be on the news in the next few days. Wednesday, actually, the 31st, isn't it? And um, I bet that'll be on the news as well. Look in the sky, you might see the super moon. So we, we accept the defeat. But of course, it's super, 
which means it's nearer to the Earth than normal, which is slightly bigger. It's blue because it's the second one in the month. It's full because it is the full moon, because that's the, the phase. There's no name given to the second moon of August this year. There's 12 names, uh, 13 names for moons, but there's not um, there's not one for a second moon in the month. And it's also a red moon because the inclination of the orbit of the moon to the Earth is quite shallow, which means the moon will rise just like the sunrise and is red at sunrise and sunset. The moon will rise and will be red, and it won't really get away from being at least having a tinge of red because it's not going to get very high in the sky because it's so low on the horizon. So it's red, blue, full, super and not sturgeon. Well, while we digest all that, <laughs> let's have Cat Stevens' Moon Shadow. I'm being followed by a moon shadow Moon shadow, moon shadow Leaping and hopping on a moon shadow Moon shadow, moon shadow and if I ever lose my hands, lose my plow, lose my land, oh, if I ever lose my hands, oh, I won't have to work no more. And if I ever lose my eyes, if my colors all run dry, it's if I ever lose my eyes. I won't have to cry no more Yes, I'm being followed by a moon shadow Moon shadow, moon shadow Leaping and hopping on a moon shadow Moon shadow, moon shadow And if I ever lose my legs I won't moan and I won't beg Oh, if I ever lose my legs away, I won't have to walk no more. And if I ever lose my mouth, all my teeth, north and south, yes, if I ever lose my mouth away, I won't. Music break from Cat Stevens and appropriately, it's Moonshadow. You're listening to this month's edition of the Manx Sky at Night. Joining me in the studio, as always, is our resident astronomer, Howard Parkin. And uh, Howard, traditionally in this bit of the programme, we talk about things happening in space. And uh, just going back to a big story that uh, came from a few weeks ago, and it was these these people, just ordinary folk like you and Ooh. I, who went off in the, in Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic. That's right. 
try. They go above what they call the Kármán line, and the Kármán line is a definition of where space ends and begins. There's a big debate about the exact height. The Americans say it's 100 kilometres. Um, the Kármán line, I think, is slightly below that. You'd have to correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, but the idea is when you get to a certain height, you're in space, and you get your astronauts' wings. So the whole commercial enterprise that Richard Branson has set up, and indeed Jeff Bezos with his um, Blue Origins project, is to get people in a vehicle above the Kármán line into space so they can be awarded astronauts' wings. And that's what people are paying their quarter of a million pounds for. Well, indeed, yes. But there were very different circumstances for these, weren't there? Because we had the gentleman from the UK um, who has Parkinson's disease. And I, I thought it was very, very touching. He said, I do not want to be defined by my illness and he paid his quarter of a million dollars back in 2005 didn't he when he first set this up virgin galactic uh, the rutan brothers launched a space plane into space they actually came to the isle of man and did a lecture at the museum when i was working at the museum and they built this space plane and richard branson seized on this and thought this is the way to get commercial interest in space so the space plane concept launching an aircraft from another aircraft into space uh, with fur paying passengers on board who will get zero gravity and they'll see the curvature of the earth and all the rest so he set up virgin galactic many years ago way back as you say before 2005 and it's taken him till well a couple of years ago he had his first commercial trips but they were for the vips if you like they were the ones who the experts there was a bunch of italian um Air Force personnel paid for it and all the rest. But what Richard Branson was wanting to do was to make this flight, the one he did in early August, this was the first one, in mid-August actually, uh, he made this one, the first one, where he went to the list of all the people who paid for these flights. And there's a few thousand of them. And he selected them, allegedly at random, but I suspect there was some influence. But that's what he did. He, had, he, had a, 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 he drew the tickets out, didn't he? Well, that's right, because the, the a mother and daughter. That's right. Um, and, and I thought the quote, the, the mother's quote was absolutely priceless. She said that, that she had bought what she described as she bought a ticket, which presumably is this quarter of a million dollar price tag. And she said, and I kind of didn't think any more of it. She said she was on a flight with her daughter, sorting out her daughter's university place here in the UK. And she said, and the next thing was, there was Richard Branson in my yard. <laughs> in his back garden. <laughs> so. That's the sort of bloke he is. I was talking to someone the other day about the fact they were on a virgin flight and Richard Branson just walked through the cabin and started chatting to everybody. Mm. And he met them at the door. You know when you get off the plane and one of the, the, the they say goodbye, I hope you had a good flight. He was at the door as well. Just, just the personality of the guy. And uh, he obviously he hits the, the human interest side of it. But uh, it did well. And um, now they're going to gear up and try and do more and more flights to get his waiting list down. And uh, there is hope of the stories that maybe the price will go down eventually when they've had enough people who've paid their quarter of a million and they've got the plane there empty, they'll maybe sell me a ticket. But uh, I don't know. I think it'd be like Chris Williams' Spitfire Fund, actually. What do you think? Well, I don't know. We could try crowdfunding. We could, couldn't we? I mean, you're very popular. <laughs> I don't know if I'm that popular. <laughs> Quarter million dollars, dear me. Well, let's let's just let's just see if if the price tag comes down just just a little bit more. But nevertheless, lots of interest and um, oh yeah, and and the diagrams. I think at the time they put a very interesting diagram to show you exactly in a sort of circular form mm. exactly what what the spacecraft goes through, oh, and yeah. then then you as you say you've got this five minutes of weightlessness. Right. and where they can see the curvature of the Earth. So it, you do get a, a real understanding oh, yeah. of, of I, I believe when the thing launches, and they launch on the bottom of the, the, the carrier aircraft, Unity it's called, and then they, they go up to a certain height, quite a high up, about 30,000 feet or something like that. Then they literally drop the space plane. 
and then they light the engine. I believe that's when you get a real kick in the in the pants, because that's when they really uh, fire the motor, of course, because they carry it up on the on the plane. So the aircraft, the the the, 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 um, the suborbital craft, um, I've got the name of it now, and um, they will kick that motor on, and wow, up she goes like a rocket, literally, and then goes to the edge of space, and then they glide back down to earth and drink champagne. And at that price, I hope they're drinking champagne anyway. <laughs> They should be drinking the very finest champagne. I think so. And they then get presented with their astronauts. Their astronauts' wings by Richard Branson or whoever is on call that day. If only we could do it for you, Howard. We would. Well, I live in hope. We would. <laughs> That's what we need to do, live in hope. Meanwhile, in space, what else have we got? Well, we've got a very exciting thing happened a few days ago. Jerry Hoffman, one of the NASA astronauts who actually was involved in servicing the Space Telescope, he actually came to the island for a day visit on a cruise ship. And... Um, I didn't meet him, unfortunately. I was uh, I was away at the time, um, but I believe he had a great time. And uh, this is our space links. You see, our space links, although we don't talk to them very often, they're still there. And it was great to see him on the island. And uh, no doubt there'll be lots of pictures uh, bandied around in the very near future. It amazes me how people have heard of us when I'm away on my travels, and people say, "Oh, I've heard of the Isle of Man." Mm. It's not just the TT and Manx Cat and Kippers, but they've heard of our space industry and the fact that uh, you know we've got so much to talk about and um, to be proud of. And talking of things to talk about, what has happened to the Boeing Star Chaser? Well, this is it's a long story. When NASA weren't flying the shuttle anymore in 2011, they gave a commercial contract. They gave a space a commercial contract to SpaceX, and they gave a commercial sp- contract to Boeing. And Star Chaser and SpaceX were vying to be the first to carry passengers into space or astronauts into space. NASA astronauts, basically a shuttle service, if you like, maybe the wrong word, shuttle, but a a service by ferrying people up and down to the International Space Station. Well, there was lots of delays for SpaceX, but they finally made it in 2020. In May 2020, the first Dragon spacecraft with SpaceX went to the ISS and back. Boeing then had a problem with theirs, which meant they were delayed, and they had their first unmanned test. Um, I think it was late 21, and it went wrong. It went okay, and they reckoned if there'd been astronauts on board, they could have fixed it, but the spacecraft had the wrong orbit, and they couldn't change the orbit, so it didn't reach the ISS. So they then said, right, we'll have another unmanned test and send it up to the ISS. Last year, this was, in 2022, and that was a complete success. And then they're all set this April to launch the first manned version of the Starliner up to the ISS, but it was delayed. It was delayed from... April, it was delayed to July, it was then delayed to September, and only a few days ago they've announced it's now been delayed till early 2024. So instead of having two different types of spacecraft going up to the ISS, they've only got the Dragon at the moment. Um, the amount of money that's been spent on it, it will fly eventually, but it just shows the uh, the technique and the env- and engineering and all the problems they have with it. You can't rush these things, and indeed it's been delayed and delayed and delayed, and uh, we're now hopeful for 2024. But it does have a knock-on effect to other projects, doesn't it? Well, of course it does. I mean, it, 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 at the moment, NASA are looking for a budget. I think the figure was $25 billion. NASA wanted $27 billion, and they've been chopped back to 25 which still sounds like an awful lot of money. Uh, but as a consequence, now they're looking at the Mars sample return mission may be under jeopardy. So the rover is roving around Mars at the moment collecting samples, and the mission to go and collect those samples is now... Uh, under jeopardy, or if not cancelled, certainly going to be delayed. It was meant, meant to be 2028-29, so that's quite possible it's going to get delayed as well. And this is all down to budget and everything else. And um, mm-hmm. you think there's PhDs and there's engineering and all sorts of things going on with these things. And, uh, you know, OK, they, financially it's an awful lot of money, but um, 
you sometimes think when you commit to something, you've got to see it through without you know, mm. pulling the rug out from under it. But. The problem is, I would guess, as with most commercial undertakings, you can't always be precise about how much no. it's going to cost. No. So you might think that $25 billion, extraordinary amount, <laughs> you, you might think that's covered every contingency, but if something goes wrong or, or whatever, you know... That's it. Well, the James Webb Telescope is a classic because that was meant to be launched in 2007 and eventually went into orbit in 2021. It took yeah. them 14 years and X amount of dollars later. Yeah, But again, that's something that's now talked about on national oh, yeah. news, isn't it? About the quality of the exactly. images. And that's the thing. I mean, yes, the media always, it's the nature of the media. You're very quick to criticise when things go wrong or a spacecraft is delayed or not funded or whatever. But then when they do go right, yes, and all credit to the people involved, they are they're they're lauded and uh, talked about um, worldwide. Now, what about the Voyager? Oh, yes. Well, this is a lovely story, this. And I do a lecture on this. Actually, one of my lectures is about the five spacecraft that are leaving the solar system. And one of them is Voyager 2. And they were launched in 1977. So imagine you're an engineer that you remember screwing the little cover on the instruments or whatever. 19, 1977 they were launched. And they're now so far out into space. In fact, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, they were twins, um, have both passed out of our solar system. But human error is a strange thing. Someone sent a command to this spacecraft, which is about 18 light hours away. It's a huge distance away and it takes ages for the signal to get to it. Sent a signal to it to change the direction of its antenna, and it did, which meant it couldn't communicate with Earth anymore. <laughs> but they admitted it was human error. No one's admitted who did it, of course, although they'll know. Um, but this is how they're clever they are. The spacecraft has got a default capability within it that every so often it will automatically point its antenna towards the Earth and send a signal that says, hello, I'm here, do you need me to do anything else? And that's what it did. It, uh, finally, it, it went into the default mode and they managed to get a signal to it and they've now recovered it from all those millions and millions of miles away. It was a bit of a panic because this spacecraft is, is really a legend. It really is NASA, one of NASA's greatest triumphs, the, the Voyager missions which went past Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and Neptune. And uh, they've managed to recover it. And uh, But there was a lot of egg on the face for that moment. An amazing story. Amazing. I mean, very unfortunate that through human error, something that the link could be lost. But how brilliant that yeah. that kind of device was built in where it'll reset and come back. All that far away. 1977 back. was built. It hasn't been serviced. No one's gone up there and topped the oil up and wiped, wiped the windshield, I think. <laughs> it's been going on its own ever since uh, September 1977. Which in itself, is a, as you've just said, is a remarkable feat of, of engineering. It really it is. It, it really is. So can you predict how long, you know, if it's lasted for this long, could it go on indefinitely? No, they reckon, I think, they figure it's 2035. They reckon they've got a thermonuclear isotopic generator on, on the end of a boom which doesn't uh, um, affect the other instruments on board and that radioactive decay is what's powering the um, the spacecraft uh, but unfortunately that amount of decay and the amount of generation of the power it's going to give them uh, eventually is going to fade and um, they'll reach a time, I think 2035 is the date when they don't think it'll be able to communicate anymore. Of the five spacecraft, two of them have, we don't communicate with any more pioneers, 10 and 11, they are not outside the solar system yet, but they're dead. They're not communicating at all. But Voyagers 1 and 2 and the New Horizons probe are still working. New Horizons will go on for a lot longer because it's got more modern equipment because that was only launched in 2004. Um, but uh, it's still amazing when you consider that five of them, five uh, examples of humankind have left or will be leaving our solar system. It is, as you say, amazing. 
Well, we have, as always, been beaten by the clock. Howard, thank you very much indeed for coming back into the studio and for keeping us very well entertained, as you always do. Questions are welcome. Queries about night school at UCM. Howard Parkin at manx.net is how people can get in touch with you. Of course. And you will be joining us again, I hope, on the final Sunday in the month of September. Okay, look forward to that, Judith. Thank you. Thanks, Howard. (laughs) 